We're going to read out of Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 as we are finding that scripture. Let me tell you as well, even as our choir is going to be stepping off the stage, that, um, you know, I came up with this title a couple of months ago, Being Better Together, not knowing that um, this would be the day when we first start all meeting together here on the First Baptist grounds. We are not going to have our crosswalk service meeting separately um, in the gymnasium. The Lord has just changed that path, and we're going to be meeting together and doing that together. So, um, you know, some people may be saying, well, do you still have a college-specific ministry? Yes, we, we know that a lot of them attend in here as well. Um, but then also we are um, starting up a brand new ministry on Sunday evenings at seven o'clock in the youth room with Pastor J.C. Elliott and Ryan Heckman is also working with our college ministry. So we just want to let you know that that is going on and God is doing some wonderful things in that. You'll be hearing more about that in the upcoming weeks and months as well. But let me read Ephesians chapter four, verses four through six says this, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you that um, you are here in this place. That we indeed are better together knowing who you are in our lives. I thank you for your blessings upon us. And I pray that today as we talk about this truth that you have given throughout Scripture, of how dependent we are on you and one another, that your Spirit would truly visit us now. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, today I'm going to share a message that um, is a little radical when you compare it to what you hear in our culture. In fact, it's pretty countercultural. Um, it's the exact opposite of what maybe you've been taught for most of your life. If you've been here for the last month or so, you'll know that we have been talking about community and the value of community and what that means to each of us, especially as believers. But here in America, I think we've been taught a little differently, and that is we've been taught that happiness or joyfulness is a result of having great independence. In fact, our nation was founded on the declaration of what? Declaration of Independence. And so we have this idea or this thought that we need to be financially independent. We need to be relationally independent. We think that if we are independent in every way, that we're going to be the happiness. If we kind of get to do our own thing. But the truth is that happiness and joy does not come from being independent or isolated or living your life separate from somebody or having barriers up or having uh, masks on or even keeping people at a distance. But it's from not a sense of independence, but from a sense of interdependence upon one another, a sense of community, a sense of coming together and fulfilling how God made us and doing that one with another. I'll give you an example of that. Think about some of the most happiest and joyful times that you have ever had in your life. Some of the most possibly even rewarding times that you've ever had in your life. I would guess that they were not done in isolation. I would guess that they were done in a sense of community with others there. One of the happiest days of my life was when I got married to my beautiful wife 17 years ago, 17 and a half years ago. 
We did that in front of the church family. We asked others to be a part of that. The most joyful days of my life was when we had children. I know I could not do that alone, right? <laughs> but we had family there as well in the waiting room cheering us on, waiting for, our grand, for their grandchildren to come and aunts and uncles and uh, nieces and nephews there. We, we did that in community and family. When we celebrate birthdays, when we celebrate anniversaries, we often do that in community. We do that together. Mission trips. We have a uh, mission trip uh, right now going on the mission field down to Sultana. You saw the list Pastor Mike gave to you and showed you all the different groups that are going on. Those things are done in community. It's a little odd, though, that our, our culture pushes independence so much And yet they appeal to the innate longing that we have to be in community. For example, the next couple of months, you're going to start seeing commercials about Christmas and bringing in kind of that Christmas spirit. You're going to see that the thing that they're trying to sell to you is going to be secondary. The primary feeling they want you to have is one of community, of one of Christmas spirit, is one of celebrating around the table or being together. In fact, television, commercials, beer ads of all things are not selling you beer. You know what they're selling you? They're selling you community. They're selling you this, this idea that lots of people are around and parties and good times and people all together. They don't show you what's going to happen when you take that product and end up alone that night, maybe even in prison from a DUI or something like that. They show you all the fun times in the community that they're hoping that you will experience. Marketers know that we are wired for community. They even stress, even while they stress that though, there's this underlying sense of, but you are still independent. You need to do it your way. I hope as a church, we would see through that. I hope as a church that we would realize God designed us to be in community one with another, not to do this on our own. In fact, look at the verse here out of Romans chapter 12. And uh, you can look at it up here on the screen or it's at the top of your outline. But why don't you read it with me? Okay, let's read it. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us need all. Would you turn to the people right next to you and say, you need me. Okay, tell them that. You need me. You need me. Now, I, I, I didn't tell you to do your Barry, you know, your, your Barry White impersonation, right? You need me, baby, okay? I, I, I didn't tell you. I didn't tell you to do that. But, but try this one now. Turn to those same people you just said you need me and say, I need you, all right? I need you. I, I think we just had 10 marriage proposals I, I saw out there. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we do. We truly need each other, and, and yet we don't realize it many times because we're taught this sense of independence in our culture. I'll give you an example of this. Um, if any of you have a, a bronze or kind of uh, a silver serving trays in your home, what happens to those over time when you don't do anything to them? Yeah, they, they tarnish, don't they? What do you have to do to make it like that, to make it tarnish. Nothing, do you? You just leave it alone and it will tarnish. You know, the same thing happens to us spiritually. You know how to ruin a good man or a good woman spiritually? You leave them alone. You don't have to do anything.
You just let them be. And they will become tarnished by the world and what the world has to offer them. We are not made to be left alone. God designed us to be in community, especially within the church. In fact, the Bible gives us a number of reasons for this. And if you have your outline, if you can just take that out, we're going to go through these points uh, real quickly, as quickly as we can. The first one is this. I need others to walk with me. I need others to walk with me. In other words, I need people to help me grow spiritually. Look what it says in Colossians 2.6. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Oftentimes your spiritual journey is called a walk in Scripture. Christian walk or the spiritual walk that you are, that you are on. But God never intended for you to go that alone. And this has nothing to do with being married or with being single. It has everything to do with saying there are no Lone Ranger Christians in Christianity. We just, we just, that's not the way Scripture set that up. You are designed to do this together. Even though some of you say, and I know you probably say this, you say, I, well, you know what? I like to walk alone. In fact, in fact I prefer to walk alone. I, I get my own way when I walk alone, right? Some, some of you do that. Yes, but you're missing the point. You're missing the point of of learning cooperation. You're missing the point of learning about relationships. You're missing the point about learning ultimately about love. Love for the people that God placed around you. Now, I don't know where this idea and concept came that we have here in the American church, but I'll I'll give you one, for instance, of, of a poem that we're all very familiar with, or many of you are familiar with it. It's the poem called Footprints in the Sand. In that poem, I'll just describe it to those who maybe are not familiar with that. In that poem, there's kind of this dream or this vision that a person has of walking along the beach and, and walking with the Lord Jesus and seeing some scenes in his life flash across the, the, the beach. And he sees that every time that he has happy moments, there's two sets of footprints walking through that sand, like it's he and the Lord doing that together. But he also sees that every time he has a hard or rough moment in life, that it's, that it's one set of footprints that he has walking through the sand. And he turns to the Lord and says, you know, I don't understand this. Why, why is it this way that the happiest of times are when there's more, uh, you know, footprints you're with me, but in the unhappiest, the, the, the down times, the hard times, the storms of life, there's only one set of footprints. And Jesus looks to him and says, well, then my son or my daughter, it was then that I was carrying you through those rough times. Okay, we, we, we've heard that maybe at a funeral. We've heard it. We've read it. Footprints at grandma's house or something like that, right? I happen to believe that that poem is very misleading. Not from the place that the Lord would be carrying us through those difficult times, but from the place that there's only one set of footprints walking through those difficult times. Biblically, I think that there would be multiple footprints walking on the sand through those times. That if we look back at those times, we'll see that we were doing them together with others who are walking with us. And truthfully, if you look back and say, nope, there was really only one set of footprints walking through those sand, through that sand, then that is your error. You need to have people around you. You need to be in community with others. You need to have people who will come alongside you and watch your back and walk through things with you. That's the way God set it up. In fact, there's this old Zambian pro- uh, proverb that says, when you run, you run fast. When you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. 
That's the way God set this life up. That you don't run a sprint. It's not a 40-yard dash. You're running it as if though it's a marathon, running together. Any of you who um, joined uh, maybe exercise clubs or diet or an exercise program knows that you need some sort of a workout partner with you. You are so much more successful when you have some sort of workout partner with you, connecting with you, helping with you. You help them when they are feeling like they're not going to make it. They help you when you're feeling the same because truthfully, God doesn't want us to do that on our own as well. In fact, I think God hates loneliness. God hates loneliness. He doesn't want you to be alone. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. It talks in there about not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of now doing. You know what? It's a habit because it's happened over and over and over and over again. But he says you need to encourage each other. You need to continue to meet and encourage one another. And, and truthfully... I'm not talking about what we're doing here today. This is not a community. This is a crowd of people. And if you look what's going on underneath the oak tree right now, that is a massive crowd of people. That's not community. What's community is when they sit around the tables and begin to talk to one another. What's community is when you sit across the table, you begin to know one another. That's why we say it's not just what it goes on here. We want you to take steps out of here. We want you to get involved in other groups. We want you to get involved with Wednesday night electives or with Sunday school classes or with the home groups that we are offering. This is a crowd. You get into community, that's when the difference is made. You can leave here and still feel lonely. When you get into community, then you become truly known and others know you. That's where we're heading with this. And so you can write this on your outline. Community is God's answer to loneliness. Community is God's answer to loneliness. 1 Corinthians talks about this when it says, hey, why don't you bring a lesson, bring a story, bring a hymn, bring a tongue, bring an interpretation. Come together and do that. We don't just do that. Uh, that that's hard to do in a large setting like this. It's done in homes. And so in the New Testament model, you see that the believers went to the temple to worship, but they went into homes for the fellowship, and they traveled from home to home enjoying that fellowship together. That's what a small group community does for us. In fact, I'll give you kind of another example of this, and um, I'll use uh, uh, Legos from the land of Legos. I actually stole this out of the two-year-old's class, so I, we might have some two-year-old's crying over there. I'm not sure. But... Um, I'm convinced that you are not designed to come in here to this church, to sit in the seat that you are in, take in, hear some words, sing some songs, maybe give an offering or so, and then just exit back out on your own. I'm convinced that God designed each of us with these prongs in place, and those prongs are designed to have other people join on top of us or in with us. We're designed to be attached you to other people, and other people to you as well. That's what a small group community does for each other. You are stronger together. You are better together. You are designed to be like this. You're not designed just to go through life like this. 
That's why even, you know, when we're offering this kind of a barbecue out under the oak tree, you know, we know that's, that's just a crowd of people, but you need to get together and you need to make some attachments. You need to have some people who are a part of your life and you're a part of theirs. That's when you begin to thrive in your spiritual walk. That's when you begin to thrive here at First Baptist Church. My question is this. Do you have some other people who are attached to you? Are other people attached to you and are you attached to others? That's how you make a large church small, by getting into small groups or by getting into community groups where you have six or eight, maybe even 12 of those connections. So my question is, what's, ha- what, what, what's keeping you from that? We're offering that. We're, we have this not a fan study coming up. And again, if you're already connected into another study or a, a small group, that, that's fine. We want you to do that. But if you're not in one yet, I really want to encourage you, get into one of the home groups. Not even one that's on campus. Get into those home groups because there is something different that happens when you sit on a couch and you talk spiritual things. Now, I know that can be a little intimidating, and I already know some of you are saying, oh, I'm not real comfortable with that. There's some resistance that we have from people within our church. I know that. I get that. I understand that. But it's interesting because on um, Monday of this last week, I was playing basketball in our gymnasium, and we love having guys who are not a part of our church come and be a part of that. And so I was covering them at some points, and we kind of struck up a little friendship. And I was talking to them after the um, basketball game, and I said, hey, you know what, why don't you come into uh, our church here? I happen to be the senior pastor here at this church, and would love for you to come in and, and, and come to one of our services. And he looked at me, and he said, oh, you know what, yeah, I, I don't really think I will. And he kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit, and, and he said, you know, I kind of have some of my own beliefs, and, and I, don't, I don't think I'll, I'll probably do that. And I said, oh, okay, but you know what? If you would come in and, uh, and just take part in what we do, I'd love to afterwards uh, get together with you, uh, either take you to lunch, you can come over to my house, we'll just talk, we'll just share, we'll talk a little bit about what you heard, what you learned, maybe I can even learn from some, some stuff from you. And his eyes got real big. It was as though he was saying, wow, you, you, you would do that? You, you would take some time to meet with me personally and talk about some of these types of issues and go over it? I said, yeah, why not? And in and, and, and hearing that, of, of what happens with some of our church people and what happens with someone like that, it just struck me. Why is it that people outside of the church will go to someone's home, but they won't go to church? But people inside the church will go to church, but they won't go into someone's home. Listen, here's the deal. If you sign up for one of these not a fan small groups, and if you go to these seven studies, and if you don't grow spiritually, I personally will take Pastor Mike's credit card and take you out to lunch. Okay? Is that a deal? Is that a deal? All right? We can talk about that. Okay? He's got to up the, he has to up his limit, right, on his credit card. I hope not. In fact, I don't think he will, because if you do that, If you step out and say, okay, all right, Pastor Brad, I'll give it a shot, but just for these seven weeks, great, that's all I'm asking. Just for the what's the worst thing that can happen to you? You have to be in someone's home for seven weeks, and at the end of those seven weeks, we're going to be into the holidays, and you have to buy some Christmas presents because you have good friends, right, for one another. That's that's the worst thing that can happen to you. I, I, I challenge you to take that step because you need others to walk with you. Second thing I wrote down there was this. I need others to serve with me. I need others to serve 
alongside him. You know, the Bible says that we were put here on earth to do some things, and, and those things cannot be done by ourselves. Some of those things cannot be done by ourselves. We, we, we need other people around us to do some of these things. Look at the verse out of Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good. What's the word there? Works. To, to, to serve. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now we're talking walk, one of the things that we need to do. And we're talking serving or, or working together. Those things are so important for us. And when you do that with other people together, you begin to make a huge, huge difference. I know we had kind of some weird weather last weekend, and I had already heard that there was a little bit of snow falling up in the, in the foothills or in the Sierras. Have you ever seen just one snowflake fall? You ever watched it? It, it, it doesn't do a lot of good, does it? I mean, it just kind of falls, and often if it's a first snowflake, it'll, it'll kind of melt and, and dry up. But after a while, more and more fall together, and actually, if they come together and stick together, and those snowflakes can stop traffic, can't they? Those snowflakes can shut down a city, is what they can do. You know, I kind of look at that as our spiritual life and the things that we do. As individuals, we can do things one by one by one by one, and that can be good. But when you get enough of us together, when you get enough of snowflakes together, we're going to make a difference. I mean, we have some two or 3,000 people who come and call First Baptist home here at, here at First Baptist. That's large enough to stop something, isn't it? large enough to start a revolution here in this city. In fact, you know, I'll, I'll just address this real quickly. I often don't enjoy having to talk about this type of a thing, but there's a bill right now um, called AB1266, uh, AB 1266. It's called the bathroom bill. Many of you have heard about this, read about this in the paper that the governor's already signed um, that says that if on the public schools, public campuses, if one day you feel like a girl, then boys, if you feel like you're a girl, you can go into the girls' restroom. And, and, and girls, if you feel like on that day that you are more like a boy, you can go into the boys' restroom and into the boys' showers. I know I, it, it is almost mind-blowing for me to have to even mention this in this kind of a room and in this kind of a setting, but it is a, a bill that has encroached, 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 and finally we need to come together and say, stop. That is nonsense. That is ridiculous. And, and I, you know, it, it shouldn't have even taken us this long to get to this place of having to do this, but there's a petitions that need to be signed, and if there's can be just over 500,000 of them, then it will go before the people. <laughs> and I would think the people would say, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why are we doing this? Why is this happening? And, and, you know, people will say, well, it's because of bullying and other things like that. There's already protection for that type of thing to take place. So I don't want to get into all that. There's information out in the Welcome Center. I think uh, the first couple of services, we've got a huge response that we're running out of petitions. Next week, we'll have more out there. We'll probably have them out there for the next two or three weeks. But I look at that and I say, isn't it sad that we have to be the ones standing up to this? Just, just common sense. I would hope that we as a church would become more, known more for what we're for rather than what we're against. And it happens just too many times. We have to be the ones to stand up and say, no, no, that's right or that's wrong. Well, if that's what we need to do, we will do that. But we as a church need to come together 
and serve in love and give in love and even confront in love if it needs to be. And that's why over the next month or so, we're also going to be serving in one of our um, SOS, Serve Our Stockton projects. Some of you may have read in the paper that there was a love Stockton that went on yesterday. We as a church did not jump into that or advertise that because we wanted to get our small groups going first and then have those groups begin to serve together. And even if you don't join a small group, which I hope you would, but if you don't, you can still do that. So on October 19th, we'll let you know more about that. I hope we come together and we just serve our community. We already have projects going on at um, Cleveland. We have some other schools that we're going to be serving as well. But we do want to be known more for what we're for rather than what we're against. I I look and I say, you know what? We need to come together and make a difference. The words there out of Ecclesiastes 4 9 says, Two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. Together. In fact, if you feel beat up and tired because of your service or what you've been doing, I would venture to say that maybe it's because you're not doing it with enough other people. Maybe you're doing it alone. The the fill-in on the front page, the bottom, community is God's answer to fatigue. If If you are serving but you're just doing it by yourself, I would almost guarantee you at one point or another you are going to get very tired of doing that. And so you need other people around you to serve with you. In fact, um, on the mission trip flyer that Pastor Mike talked to you about, he said we have a group going out right now down to Sultana. You can see all the other trips that are coming up. One of those trips is going to be led by my wife. She is going to go to Haiti. This came out of her heart for serving. She's She's an RN. She's a nurse. And when we went on a mission trip to Africa in 2008, she was overwhelmed by the needs, the medical needs that were there. And so in her heart, she's been saying, I still want to help. I still want to serve. I want to do this in a foreign country. And so she found an organization to do this with. And they're looking for medical doctors, uh, practitioners, um, anything that has a PT, occupational therapist, anything that's got those initials going on behind it, right? You know who you are on the medical field. If you'd like to be a part of that, you see that announcement next Sunday. They're going to have a meeting to talk about how do we join together as these snowflakes to make a difference in the country of Haiti. Joining together, working together is really what we need. Let me give you the last point. It's a little bit longer, but then we'll be done right after that. The last thing I wrote down that we need is we need others to watch out for me. I need others to watch out for me to defend me, to protect me, to stand up for me, to help me stay on track, to warn me, to pray for me. Philippians 2, 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of, what's it say there? The interest of? Of others. Sure, not just your own, but to others. Now that is countercultural. Because so many people in America say, nope, it's about me, it's about my needs, it's about my interests, it's about my hurts. Forget the rest of you and what you care about, it's what I need. And some of you are doing it without even knowing you're doing it. Because it's so inbred in us. That's why biblically it it takes us out of our comfort zone and puts us into a different place. In fact, look at the picture that's up on the screen right now. This is a picture of a neighborhood watch sign. A lot of these signs are around uh, our communities. I know driving into our community, we have one of these signs up on one of our light posts there. What this is saying 
is it saying we are a community, we come together and we watch out for one another. We watch out for other people. We care for one another. Now, I've never been to one of these meetings. I don't think that they're going on anymore. In fact, the sign is so old, it's been graffitied sometimes, and then it's been scrubbed, and then it's been painted, and it's been redone. And and so I don't think we're doing that as well as we can. And so individuals now, a lot of times, will just at least warn one another in their neighborhoods, and they'll look out for one another. We have some neighbors, when they go away or when we go away, we get over to each other and we say, hey, can you take a few moments every day and just kind of look at my stuff? Make sure the house is okay, it's not broken into, the porch doesn't have newspapers on it. Would you watch? out for my stuff. You all probably do that as well, don't you? When you leave for a week or or two, you do that with one another. Why is it that we care maybe more about our stuff than we do our spiritual souls? Why do we have people looking out for our stuff in our neighborhoods, but we don't have anybody who's looking out for our spiritual stuff or our souls in our own homes or spheres of influence? Isn't that more important than our stuff? Don't we need people around us who will walk us through our spiritual journey, who will help us in that way, who will keep us on path, who won't allow us to get discouraged and depressed and give up? I mean, I mean, we all have kind of these spiritual blind spots in our lives, don't we? And there's spots that, that we can't really see maybe an area that we may be just off. In fact, in, in my own home, if my hair cut, if I get a haircut, my hair is too short in the back, it'll kind of stick up like alfalfa, right? My wife is there to tell me about that and help me comb that thing down. I've had some of you at this church say, hey, did you know that your taillight was out on the back of your car? No, I didn't know my taillight was out because I was in there driving. I can't get out and look at my taillight, right? That's what we do. We help one another in that. If I ever come up here to the pulpit and my zipper is unzipped, I hope someone's going to notice. Hey, Pastor Brad, zip it, right? Your zipper's up, down. That's what we do for one another. When you go out to lunch and when you eat and you get maybe lettuce or, or taco in your teeth, friends don't let friends have taco in their teeth, all right? We help each other. We, we, we do that one for another. We watch out for each other. Look what Hebrews 13.1 says about that. It says, Keep being concerned about each other as the Lord's followers should be concerned about one another. Do you know why? Because you've got an enemy on your tail. And that enemy has you in its bullseye. He's aiming at your backside as you are going through life. And he wants you. He wants to take you down. A few months ago, my wife and I took our kids, and then we went with my brother and his children to paintball. Any of you ever played paintball on on the field? Yeah, paintball is one of those things where you have these little guns, and you have these little paintballs, and if you shoot them, they'll break on you, and you can see that you kind of got shot. It's kind of a little bit of a war game. Um, You learn very quickly the concept of cover me in paintball. Right? Because if you're going one way and you're moving to go someplace and someone starts firing you, you ask someone else, cover me, so that they will begin to fire at that person so that the attention will be taken off of you. We need more people in our lives who spiritually will cover us. Where you need to come alongside them and say, I got your back. I got you covered. Would you cover me as well? Because Satan is trying to take you down. 
His true goal is to take God down, but he knows he can't. So you know who he takes down? Takes down God's children. He's got a target on you. One by one by one by one. But if you join together and you cover each other and you pray for one another and you see each other's blind spots and you say, hey, I'm going to pray for you and you pray for me, that's going to make a huge difference. Huge difference around here. We're going to see some miracles happen when we begin to do that. In fact, look what it says in Ecclesiastes 4.12. It says, An enemy might, defend, uh, might defeat one person, but two people together can defend themselves. A rope that is woven of three strings is hard to break. That's what a community does when they come together. Truth is, we all are going to take on enemy fire at one time or another. We're all going to experience some sort of spiritual battles or some spiritual storms in our lives, aren't we? And in a storm, here's, here's the truth. There are three types of people today. There are people who are in a storm and you know who you are. You are feeling it. And then there are people who are just exiting a storm or leaving a storm and you're glad about that. But there are some others of you who are just entering a storm and you may not even know it yet. And the people who survive those storms are people who have others around them to support them and encourage them and to pray for them. I hope you will survive that storm. In January of this year, uh, David and Laura Knopfer, who've been coming around our church for a number of years, uh, together entered one of those storms and we interviewed them. And so I'm going to let them share on video um, just what that time meant to them. My name is David Knopfer. I'm 33 years old. And this January, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Cancer is a real scary word. My husband's father died of cancer at my age. And um, all of a sudden, our world just started crumbling in and crashing in on us, like waves just toppling over you. It was very scary being um, married to a wonderful woman having two great kids, a mortgage, a car payment, and being the sole income, I immediately started worrying about how is my family going to be taken care of? Um, did I love my kids enough? Did I share the gospel to the people I was supposed to? I was very scared about a lot of things, and it was very uncertain. So here we are now, it's in it's September, and you know, eight months later, nine months later, still going through cancer, and um, still have some people checking on me. Not as intense as before, um, but I have to say that if it wasn't for the small groups that I've been a part of over the years, I'm going on retreats with other men, and um, doing Bible studies in our home, and um, just the things that are outside of Sunday service, I think my support system would be zero. I very soon realized that as I went through difficult experiences in my life, it was the people around me that helped me get through it. And that God uses people to meet your needs. A lot of us pray 
for answers and they, we pray for things. And God uses those people in our community as the answers to our prayers. I took so many things for granted, like the ability to go to a job I don't like and um, to be able to pay my bills, um, to somebody take my kids to soccer practice, um, having a coach fill in for me when I couldn't coach the kids anymore. And um, I took so many things for granted that were normal. Um, I needed somebody to walk with me around the block just in case I fell or in case I couldn't breathe anymore. And um, that's when uh, I was really needy. And I, I don't usually uh, tell people I need them too much. I like to do it on my own. So my community really stepped in. Here's the question. Who's watching your back right now? Spiritually. You know, Pastor Mike talked about that last week, that he knows if something happened to him or his job, his family would be taken care of because he has people in this church who are going to help. They'd step up. Do you? Do you have somebody who's watching your back? But let me ask the second part of that question, and that's this. Are you watching out for someone else's back? Spiritually. Because I would guess that if you are, then you have someone who's watching out for yours as well. Last feeling I put there on the outline was community is God's answer to defeat. Satan tries to defeat us. He tries to get us separated. He tries to get us alone. But when we are in community, we are better together. Ephesians, or excuse me, Ecclesiastes 4.10 talks about that. And it says, if one falls down, the other can help him up. But it's bad for the person who is alone and falls because no one is there to help. Church, it is time for the church to be the church. It is time for you to be the church in this endeavor. We do not do this alone. In fact, um, I'm just going to take a couple more minutes just to read to you an email that I got. I actually got this on Thursday of this last week. And um, it was so timely that I just had to say, you know what, we're going to go a little bit long, but we need to do that. Um, I I didn't ask this person to write this. Um, They were in our crosswalk congregation a year ago when we were going through the Not a Fan study that we as a whole church are now going to go through. And uh, we just saw some God-sized things happen um, at that time. And so I wanted to read this and share this with you. She writes, uh, Dear Pastor Brad, I'm writing you this letter in hopes that you could pass it along to help someone like me who a year ago was unsure about starting Not a Fan during a time when my personal life could not seem to handle any more stress or commitments, let alone a a weekly Bible study with strangers. If you remember, my marriage had just been dealt a big blow. I mean, this storm seemed to engulf my life and the waters were rising rapidly. I I clung on to my shaken faith the way I imagine one clings to a rope while getting thrashed around. I had rounds of feeling pains and then feeling numbness, and I was tempted to just let go and give up. And I would have had not one little mustard seed of faith told me to just trust Jesus. I've described this time in my life as a place where I didn't mind riding in the same bus as Jesus, 
but I am not going to sit next to him on the bus. In fact, I was going to sit across the aisle with my arms crossed and stare out the bus window. I believed he'd get me to where I needed to go, but in no way was I going to engage in friendly talk. In fact, I was annoyed and maybe even a little angry at you, Pastor Brad, having not just suggested but basically told my husband that he, or rather we, were going to take part in a not-a-fan study. I could barely, and, and yep, I claim that, I did, I told him. She writes, I could barely stand this man, my husband, at home, and now I had to attend a small group with him and remain civilized. I wanted to run into the women's Bible study and be comforted by female believers who would pray with me and perhaps secretly give the stink eye to the man I had no intention of forgiving anytime soon. But God had other plans. Of course he does. He always has a plan. She says, when I got into my small group community, I barely knew anyone there. Apparently, my husband knew a few more uh, people due to the fact that the men's breakfast you had invited him to. But, you know, it didn't really matter how many people I knew or even really how much of the Bible I could recall. No one was measuring or competing to be the super Christian of the group. In fact, every single person in my group seemed to just be open and vulnerable to wanting to seek God more, and many admitted how scary that challenge actually was. I thank God for our group leader for being so open about what he was struggling with in life and how God had helped him to see the greater picture was to be a servant or a slave of Christ. Week after week, I attended these small groups, and week after week, I walked away with a little something more restoring me in my spiritual life. From the videos to the conversations and the discussions that we did in the living room, I began to heal. Slowly. I moved my beaten up spiritual life out of the emergency room into the ICU. I don't think I spoke a lot during those times, but I listened a lot. I felt like the Lord had allowed every input to be something that I could glean in my life. The Holy Spirit moved within our group and I wanted to cry when I felt how much love there was in this community, the body of Christ being the body of Christ. In reference to that bus I was on, I, I was on with Christ, I was now sitting next to him, still not talking, but, res- but resting my head on his shoulder because he loved me and he wasn't going to leave me. There's so much that I scribbled down in notes w- during the Not A Fan series. And there's a line in there that I don't want to misquote, but basically it says, God uses the shattered pieces of our lives to create a beautiful mosaic. She says, can you imagine that? That thing of what you once held so dearly is smashed to smithereens and there's still a purpose for that mess. Wow, she says. She says, I ended the series with a new sense of hope for my marriage. Forgiveness towards my husband did eventually come in the months to come and it was all the Lord's doing because there was no way I could have done that on my own. This not a fan series is not one that will have you solving all your problems and have you sing an oh happy day while tossing flower petals in the air. No, she says, what this study does is challenge you but also remind you of how gracious and loving our Heavenly Father truly is. I came out of this study feeling the warmth of God's love and wanting to return the favor. I'm reminded how much I need to be like Jesus so that others may see Jesus in me. I don't want them to see me. 
I want them to see Jesus. We live in a hurting world, and if it's anything like the pain I experienced a year ago, then there are many more people who feel like they are lying in the emergency room, not knowing if they'll be able to walk out of there on their own. But here's the cool thing, she says. They don't have to walk out on their own. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is ready to sign your release forms. He'll take you out of the hospital bed, provide you with nourishment and therapy and healing, taking it day by day, one day at a time, in the hands of Jesus. And then lastly, she says this. She says, now, one last time, let me reference the bus analogy. She says, keep in mind, I have a year of healing under, underway. My marriage is in a very good spot right now, and all honor and glory goes to God. But I'm human, so there are triggers that can remind me of the ugliness of the storm, and that's when I call on Jesus, and the potentially increasing pain begins to diminish. Now, on this bus, I see God, my Lord, my physician. He is the driver. I now sit in the front row with arms draped over the front railing in eager anticipation of the road before me. I pretty much grin from ear to ear as I look out the windshield and glance over at God. We talk, we laugh, we sing songs, and I listen. We drive by so much that the world has to offer, yet it's not enough for me to give up my seat on this bus. I hope that whoever is having doubts about joining a small group when their personal life is in pieces can take comfort in being reminded that God knows what he is doing. Your life right now is not a secret to him. He knows your situation and he wants you to know him as the solution. Come get on the bus. There's plenty of room, she says. He'll pull over as soon as you ask for a ride. Just know that I'll call shotgun. I look at that kind of a testimony and say a year ago, she was in a place where she needed people. Today, this couple's called me and said, we want to open up our home. Anybody, tell them to come over. We will be a part of the healing process for them now. And so my challenge to you today is this. If you're one of those people who knows that you need a group because you're hurting, why aren't you signing up? If you're one of those people who says, things in life are going really well, I don't need that, then my challenge is this. There are some other people who need you. Would you be along that healing process? Would you help others as Jesus has helped you? I challenge you to take that step together because we are so much, so much better together.